Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome into the QB SCO Show. This is episode 12, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, to break down quarterbacks here on this wonderful show, we have QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, my friend. I'm doing well. And we were just talking before we hit record about how great like February and March are. And look, we all love <laughs> the football season. It's fantastic. We get games to talk about, games to watch, stuff to break down. And it's great. And we get to create awesome content. But February and March are nice because we sort of get to hit not so much pause, but like we put things into slow motion a bit. It's not the like sprint that the NFL season is. We can yeah. sort of slow roll things into the draft. So we get to do things like play video games. A little bit more than we probably should. And we get to catch up on our reading. And to that point, Michael, we always start with a little bit of history. I am working my way through Presidents at War by Michael Beschelos. It's a fantastic, fantastic book, recently released by the Presidential Historian. I just finished up the chapter on James Polk and his war against Mexico, which led to obviously, you know, a huge expansion in US territory size, Texas, Mexico, New Mexico getting folded into the United States. But this was a war that many members of the United States Congress, many, you know, newspaper outlets, media outlets viewed as sort of a war of presidential aggression and the expansion of presidential powers. And I know we're going to talk about things that are old becoming new again in this show. So that's kind of a, you know, a nice little segue there. You know, the expansion of presidential powers is something we're talking about to this day. And during this sort of war and the debates that were engulfing Congress at that time, there was a member of the Wake Party, a newly elected congressman who rose many times in the House of Representatives to thunder away, almost like a prosecutor at this war that James Polk was waging the country in. And he called this war at times, he said that the president was deeply conscious of being in the wrong. And he felt that the president himself felt that the blood of this war, like the blood of Abel, is crying to heaven against him. This member of the Whig Party thundered away saying that the president had tried to escape scrutiny by fixing the public gaze upon the exceeding brightness of military glory, that attractive rainbow that rises in showers of blood, that serpent's eye that charms to destroy. This young Whig congressman said that the president's mind had been tasked beyond its power, running thither and hither like some tortured creature on a burdened surface. And a month later, this same congressman rose again to once more thunder away at his president, saying that this war and the justifications for it were like the half insane mumbling of a fever dream. And so we're going to talk again about what's old becoming new again with Belichick, Flores, and what they did in the Super Bowl. So I just kind of wanted to start there. Oh, oh, oh. Before I forget, that young congressman of the Wake Party, that was Abraham Lincoln. Oh, nailed it. Get a little delayed there. I like that. that, was, that you was like dramatic. that? Kind of <laughs> dramatic pause there? Yeah, coming back to it. I practiced it. I practiced it. I love that you, you put so much prep 
into the very beginning portions of this show for the history part. It's not even the football part. Well, the thing is, we know that the listeners, they've given us some feedback. And for the most part, they like the history part. Yeah, absolutely. The only negative feedback we've gotten on the history part was my parents when you talked about that torture scene. That's the only <laughs> negative feedback we've gotten, which is hilarious. I looked at that book. It's got 4.6 out of 5 stars on Amazon. It's got 4.8 among uh, customer groups of interest with military history books. So that's that's a good find. Right now, I'm going through on Twitter, if you want to follow along, if you like these history tidbits, I was challenged to post uh, seven of my favorite books, the, the covers of those books. And with each one, I kind of been spicing up with a with an excerpt. Uh, so right now, I've gone through Rubicon by Tom Holland and the Tom Holland translation of the history. So I'll be posting those for, uh, throughout the week. So go check that out. And I've got another history reference for you in a little bit here, Mark. But we have some house cleaning to do before we talk some Super Bowl. We're going to kind of bounce around on this show. There's going to be several topics. But in the most interesting soap opera of the Eagles offseason, the Eagles have picked up the Foles $20 million option. And on the day it became official, Nick Foles bought his perhaps temporary freedom back for $2 million, allowing him to become a free agent unless, of course, the Eagles tag him. I've said from the beginning, despite the reports, that I don't expect the Eagles to tag Foles. That would that, that take could become cold very quickly uh, with how things are moving. It's my understanding that the Eagles have until March 5th to do so. They also have to be under the cap by March 13th, although the cap isn't real. But those factors would, in my opinion, almost guarantee that if he is, in fact, tagged, that there is a deal in place for him. So we'll see how all of that turns out, and we'll have you covered here at Bleeding Green Nation. Mark, do you have any feeling, any inkling on where Foles might end up, or have you been so focused on the Super Bowl that you really haven't had a chance to mull it over? Allow me to gesture vaguely in the direction of the 2019 <laughs> quarterback class. And let me say this. Foles is going to get paid. Yeah, He's going to secure that bag because, <laughs> let's face it, anybody that's looked at these quarterbacks, and I am a card-carrying member of the quarterback union, I have rose to quarterback guru status by defending <laughs> the honor of the quarterback class each and every single year. Can't do it. This year, I am literally the Homer Simpson sinking into the bushes gift <laughs> personified because this quarterback class, it has its warts. And yes, I like Dwayne Haskins. I think he can do some nice things, but there are some question marks. Kyle Murray, there are some red flags there. Not yeah. so much red flags of the what we typically think of red flags when it comes to you know prospects, but of the, you know, if you get this wrong and you get some egg on your face as a GM when he decides I'm gonna go play baseball again, you're like fired. that's you're, you're fired. fired. <laughs> you're, you're selling insurance in a couple of years. Again, no insult to the insurance salesmen and women out there. <laughs> so like there are questions about this quarterback class. And what are you gonna do? You're gonna go out there, get Joe Flacco? Yeah. Blake Bortles? Nah, nah, fam. I mean, there are some guys out there. Jacoby Brissett might be nice. Teddy Bridgewater might be nice. But this guy's won a Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl MVP. Flacco, Flacco? nah. Come on. So yeah. Nick Bowles is going to get some suitors coming his way. Believe me. Yeah, it's a totally different situation from last year where you had so many quarterbacks at the top yeah. of the class. You could take your pick. Uh, now the Eagles are in a position to be able to move him for some capital. Or if they don't feel confident that they have the right trade partner, they won't be able to get it done. Foles is definitely going to get paid uh, in the offseason here. So I'm fascinated to see where he lands. Uh, one more bit of news from the Eagles. They have restructured safety Rodney McLeod's contract. His cap charge reduces from $9.9 million to $4.8 million. Ladies and gentlemen, again, the cap is not real if Howie Roseman is your GM. And a reminder that if, you, if you've been of the opinion like I have since last year that the Eagles should add a third safety at a higher value than they've tried so far, 
my top five safeties piece for this NFL draft class is up on bleedinggreennation.com. And of course, we'll be talking about all these prospects as we transition to what is officially the offseason. But let's get into some Super Bowl talk here. Mark, I think a lot of people were hoping for a type of Miyamoto Musashi and Aramiya Kihei dynamic, uh, which is when the greatest Japanese swordsman ever to live, Musashi, cuts down Kihei at the age of 13 and begins his legacy from there. Instead, we got the opposite. Musashi is dead, cut down at the gentle age of 13. I, on the other hand, was rooting for the Patriots for my own selfish reasons. I think the timeline of Patriots, Eagles, Patriots as Super Bowl winners makes what the Eagles did just that much more special. But everyone's so whole hum about it. But like, congratulations, man. What's it like? Six championships. It's it's an incredible run. It's almost as absurd as that reference you just made, which was <laughs> mind-blowingly amazing. And can we just re-rack something for a second? You didn't ask me any Rodney McLeod or safety takes? Well, you know what? With the way that the quarterback class is, I, I was I got to stop branching out, man, because I <laughs> – <laughs> uh, Anyway, yeah, enough with that. Six Super Bowls, it's crazy. It's absurd in this era. Beyond anything I think any New England Patriots fan would imagine. And Boston sports fans, look, we're flat out spoiled to a disgusting mm. degree. Because you saw billboards and signs like, oh, it's been 94 days since our last parade. We need another <laughs> one. Like, it's disgusting. As a Philadelphia, as a Philadelphia fan, that's, that's so upsetting to, to hear it, put it that way. You know, I saw a picture from the parade, this guy with his four-month-old. And the sign in front of him said, four months old, two parades. Like, we're just ridiculously, disgustingly spoiled. And I know that, look. There came a time in like 1986 or 1994 or somewhere around there where some Boston sports fan was like, look, I'm going to make a deal with the devil. We're all, all giving our souls to Satan for just a couple of championships because, man, it's been tough for us. The Red Sox haven't won in 86 years or whatever. And that payment is coming due at some point. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's like next year or the year after or the year after that. But at some point, all the Boston sports teams are going to be awful. We will deserve every little bit of vitriol we get when everybody's just dunking on us left and right when we draft, I don't know, Daniel Jones at the end of the first round and we're just wandering the desert of mediocrity for the next couple of seasons as a result. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. They shouldn't have been this good this long. And somebody pointed out on Twitter, and I did this on my show the other day, Tom Brady started this playoff run 12-2. and two win-loss record. Then he goes six and six. And then what's supposed to be the back nine of his career when he's, you know, how fallen off the cliff and Rob Parker is saying that he's going to be an AARP, he's 12 and two again. Like that just doesn't make sense. That shouldn't happen. So yeah, maybe we yeah. all sold our swords to the devil, Brady included, but here we are. It's absurd. It's disgusted. We should probably stop talking about it because people are going to be mashing that one-star review button in a second. We can't, we can't be that upset about it because uh, it, it is what it is. I, I, how can you be that upset about Bill Belichick doing what he does so freaking well. And I know there are Eagles fans out there that will bring up the whole cheating thing. I don't, I'm not really interested in all that. I mean, you guys know how I am. I don't blame refs. I don't delve into conspiracy theories. So we'll, we'll move on past that. I did want to say congratulations to you though. And have, a, and I have a couple questions about the Super Bowl that, that kind of go along with that. Tom Brady, does he ever retire? Because he, here's one thing that I will say. I am sick 
and tired of him winning. And I know he uses that, you know, for for his own advantage, that, that whole thing where quarterbacks got to be petty and, you know, have a chip on their shoulder. He knows we're tired of him. He just he just won't go away. Is it now? Because I don't think we've seen the last of him. And he said himself that a sixth ring, quote unquote, doesn't change anything. So no. the, do you do you think he's close or is it just like, man, we're we're on to 2000 and the 19 regular season? I mean, I think he's on to 2019. And Something else somebody pointed out was he said, look, he wants to play until he's 44, 45. And if he does do that, then when he retires at that point, he would not be eligible for the Hall of Fame until 2027, which on the Chinese calendar is the year of the GOAT. Like, <laughs> would that be the pettiest thing ever if Brady's like, I'm going to ride this out so I go in in the year of the GOAT? You know, God. when you think about it, it's absurd. But given what we've seen from Tom Brady, I think it's greater than a 0% chance that that's possible. Yo, quarterbacks are crazy, man. That's like yeah. that, that has to be part of their mental makeup. You have to be because think about what goes into playing that position. Like you have yeah. to stand there when Aaron Donald and Adamic and Sue want to literally separate you from – your upper body from your lower body and you have to hang in there knowing that that's about to happen. You have to believe that there is only one person on this team other than the center who should touch the ball in every single play and that's me. Like You have to have that rare mix of insanity and self-confidence and maybe even a little self-loathing mixed in. Like It's, it's just you, you have to be a crazy person to play this position. Brady is a crazy person. And so – has there been drop off? Yeah, I mean, look, he didn't have the uh, the best of games. It was arguably, I don't think it's even arguably. I think it's pretty clear it's his worst yeah. Super Bowl ever. But when they needed him to make plays, they needed that one drive, that one scoring drive. He goes four for four. And and doing a concept that we talked about on the QB Sco Show Eleven, Hoswai Juke. They ran it three times in a row. He hit every route. They in ran that it three tree. times in a row. <laughs> They ran it three times in yeah. a row. He threw the juke, he threw the hitch, he threw the yep. seed. Same play, three times in a row out of 22 personnel, which is, again, like somebody, if one of the PFF guys put it out there, that there were like 11 times all season yeah. that teams went five wide with 22 personnel and they averaged like four yards an attempt and the Patriots did it for 16.3 per attempt <laughs> in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So go out there and win the game. Like, yeah. you know, that pretty much sums up the entire absurdity of this Super Bowl because I get asked this a ton this week, you know, doing shows and stuff. Look, was this a good game? Your team won. What do you think about this game? It was an awful game. Yeah. Like, it was a bad game, and it's okay to say that it was a bad game. There's, a, there's, For me, there's a difference between a, a great defensive battle and one that includes some poor offensive play. There's also a difference between being a very entertaining game from – watching it live on television and being a very good game when you get into the film and you start to break it down from that yeah. aspect, you know? Yeah. This was a great game to go back and watch all 22 style, right. you know, because you got to see some cool stuff, which I know we're going to talk about. But watching this game live, like I was at, for the first half, I was at a party that was 90% Patriots fans, a lot of people from New England. And people were like talking about their jobs, like during the game. <laughs> Like I'm sitting there in the corner being the idiot that I am. I like, take notes and people like who don't know what I do for a living are like, is he like studying? And it's like, no, 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 this is his job. But like people were legitimately just like talking about their lives and stuff. And these are like Patriots fans because yeah. it was boring. Yeah. Here's all you need to know about this game. If this game ended 13-3 the other way, your MVP is Johnny Hecker. 
Yeah. The punter, right? The like, punter that's all awesome. you need. To, the punter duel was the best thing since Oregon State when these two guys went at it for that job years ago. That's incredible. Well, I mean, like one part that I did enjoy when you go back and look at the film, Bill Belichick, Brian Flores, a masterpiece of a defensive game plan. I gushed about it on the Kiston Solak Show 76. You've seen the film. You've broken it down. You know the score. What did you see from them that made it like just made life so difficult for Jared Goff and Sean McVay and what they wanted to do? What was amazing about this, and this gets us into the idea of everything you know, old being new again, because when I first started playing football back in Pop Warner, okay, rewatching this game, I had the names of Joe Florio, uh, Dick Scanlon, and Jim Falzon, like you know, Jim Falzano. Um, these were like my first Pop Warner coaches, and the defense we were running, you know, the defensive fronts, they were a five-two and a six-one, like that's mm. what we ran. And then you turn on this film when you see the Patriots basically running a pop one or six one front, a six man defensive front with Kyle Van Noy at one defensive end and Patrick Chun at the other one. And yep. they weren't doing this when they came out in 12 personnel. They were doing it against their base 11. They were like, look, we're going to go six man front. We're going to cover stuff up. We're going to make it hard for you to run outside zone. We're, we're, we trust the guys on the inside, Danny Shelton being active, you know, Dante Hightower to sort of clog up the inside stuff if you want to do that. And yeah, your little gadget jet sweep, jet motion stuff. We've seen you. Yeah. We, we, if you run it three times, it will be a miracle. You're not yep. gonna you're, you're not gonna run it, so we're gonna ignore it. We're gonna make it hard for you to do stuff up front. We're gonna make it hard for those guys to make those reach blocks, and we're gonna get upfield and get after Jared Goff. And when we talked about Goff, Mike, you know, we mentioned the Patriot stuff, and yeah, we hit that one out of the park. When we talked <laughs> about Goff, what were the two things we talked about? Hesitation. And pressure. pressure. And the two biggest defensive plays New England had, what did we see? We saw hesitation mm. when Goff had that you know, post route, Cooks open in the middle of the end zone on the Yankee concept, and he sat there and he looked at it too long. And Jason McCourty comes from basically, I don't know, section 302 <laughs> to break that up. And then we saw the zero blitz get pressure on him, the back foot throw, underthrows Cooks on a wheel route, and it's picked. The two biggest plays, exactly the things we talked about, the exploiting the hesitation and get pressure on him, and this kid turns into Josh Rosen. Mike, it's almost like you and I know what we're talking about. <laughs> almost, almost. Almost. And it's interesting you mentioned the jet motion because the Rams tried to include tendency breakers towards the end of the season. I think there was a game towards the very end where they realized from week 12 to week 14 that teams were not reacting to Jet as much and they had to make them respect it. They ran it like six or seven times. The Patriots yeah. knew that wasn't going to happen. They, did, yeah. they they just completely uh, ignored it and said, we're taking away. we're not taking away Jet, we're taking away Zone. We're, yeah. ta we're taking away the intermediate of the field. We're putting robbers in there. We're playing quarters. Like that's that's what you do to be that offense. Yeah, and you know the whole jet motion stuff. We were talking about that back in what week fifteen. Yep. Like you just got to ignore this stuff. Yep. And you know it, it's almost like Flores and Belichick. They sat down and they listened to the QB's coach show. They heard you <laughs> and I talking about. They were like, "All right, this is what we got to do." But yeah, I mean they confused golf. You know they played more zone coverage than they had all season long, and part of that was because look, if he's going to hesitate, better to have your eyes on him than not. You know, better to have, you know, your eyes on Jared Goff than having your back to him in man coverage. And so they did what they needed to do. They went old school with a defensive front. They slide Patrick Chun down to basically play him as a defensive end over Tyler Higby, which is, again, like, like there were times <laughs> when, you know, I'm, I'm charting this game and you've got a defensive alignment with, you know, Patrick Chun aligned as a defensive end and a two-point stance over Tyler Higby. And you've got Kyle Van Noy on the other side at a two-point defensive stance over Robert Woods and Brandon Cooks. And I'm like, look, bro. 
If you had told me back in August that Super Bowl 53 would see that, I'd yeah. be like, man, we must have had a ton of injuries because I do not want to see that. And it worked. And it worked. And yeah. you can't say enough about Bill Belichick. I mean, I don't think it's anything like a you know secret playbook or anything like that. He was running a pop water defensive front with the guys that he had because it was going to work. And it did. It's fascinating because so many, so many teams and coaches are like, this is what we are. This is what we do. Bill Belichick is the complete opposite of that. And I mean, you, you can't have success like that unless you have a crazy amount of tools in your toolbox to combat some of these things and really confuse these offenses. So after the game, Devin McCourty had a quote where he's basically like, look, we change up from week to week. Like we change yep. what we're going to do from week to week. And I was scrolling through that month, that black Monday post Super Bowl tire fire that was football Twitter. And amidst all the people throwing tridents left and right, there were a couple people from like six different fan bases being like, why don't we do that? And it's like, I don't know. Like, don't – this is – we'll get into it, I bet, with the quarterback class and that discussion. But so many times we see these coaches just be like, look, this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it. And Belichick says, this is what we do. This is how we're going to do it for this week. Next week, you better get ready to learn come Tuesday because we're going to have to do an entirely different game plan to beat those guys next week. But this is what will work this week. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What kind of transition from the Patriots defense and what they did to Jared Goff to what is being said in the media right now? Because there are some in the media, like those at Pro Football Talk, for instance, floating the idea, I think erroneously, that the Rams would consider moving on from Goff at the end of the contract. I, I mean, I'm by no means the biggest Goff fan. If you've listened to any of these shows recently, you would understand that. And that hasn't been solely a reaction to the Super Bowl, but it feels like this is just taking it to the next level. My thinking is this. Carson Wentz is getting extended. Dak Prescott is getting extended. Jared Goff is getting extended. That's how these things work in this league. And again, we've touched on it already. We've alluded to it. If you look at this 2019 QB class and go, okay, if you want to move forward with somebody else, recognize how hard that journey could be and understand how even more difficult it becomes when you're the Rams and you're probably picking towards the end of the first round in the future as well. It just seems like the talking points that are being created for clicks are just wild as always. Buckle up, friends, because it's going to be one fun <laughs> offseason of QB and football takes. Oh, boy, yeah. we're, we're just knocking it out of the park right out of the gate. I'm with you with respect to golf because, look, We've seen what QB purgatory can do. 
And yep. so this is this is the reality of today's NFL. Like if you get a quarterback, yeah, you want to maximize the rookie deal time period. We get that. We understand that. But if you've got a quarterback that's good enough, you then cling to that quarterback for dear life and hope that he becomes <laughs> the guy that you hoped he would be when you drafted him. Because that's what you do. Because the last thing you want to do is move on from him and then draft another quarterback, say, I'm just hypothetically throw out a name of Daniel Jones. And Daniel Jones becomes the Daniel Jones that we saw down in Mobile. And so if you've got a functional quarterback, you hold on to that quarterback for dear life. But there is sort of the bigger philosophical issue. There will be a team at some point that decides, look, maximizing the rookie window, that's what we got to do. And so when we get to year four, it's going to be like, we're moving on. And we're going to replace you with another rookie and try to extend that sort of salary cap advantage, that competitive advantage that that rookie deal gives you. A team will do that at some point. I don't think it's going to be Jared Goff, but no, a team is going to do that. So I think that will happen. The other thing to consider is, look, we're, we've got a lockout potential lumen. And so teams might sort of approach this as we got to maximize this window right now because who knows when these guys are going to see the field again. And so forget like trying to restart this with a rookie and try to like, you know, link work our way through a rookie season. Let's maximize what we got because who knows when we're going to see the field again. I mean, that's something we got to start thinking about. And for those of us like you and me, I guess we got to start taking out some applications at Home Depot or something to prepare for life during that season because there's going to be no QB takes or anything. I'm telling you, that's going to be bad. You got to hope the AAF or the what? Is, yeah, it's the AAF. The AAF right? hiring. I just saw as we were recording this, they're putting out an announcement for the new XFL Dallas head coach. Is that going to be you? Are you breaking some Ooh. news? Are you dropping some news on us, Kist? Look, man, I can't say anything on air, but uh, we'll talk after the show. Sounds good, buddy. It's tomorrow, <laughs> February 7th at 1 p.m. Central. Are you? Are you? Are you in Dallas right now? Yeah, don't worry about it, Mark. I mean, you, you, <laughs> don't you, worry, I my pretty my little head about it. On Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I turned my location off on Twitter. It's totally fine. Mark, <laughs> looking at this QB class, let's take a look at it. Do we have to? Yeah, I mean, we do, man. It's so bad. And it's look, great. every year, you're, you're a card-carrying quarterback member. I have for years now, especially like the Mahomes class, the Wentz class, all that. I've said that people that just didn't like these quarterbacks were cowards because they were afraid of them busting and having their QB takes on like Colt takes exposed or something like that. I don't think that's the case this year. I mean, who do you think is the quarterback first off the board and what's your gut telling you right now as far as where they go? Because as it stands right now, you look at what the the Giants are looking at. Eli Manning is expected to to be the starter for the year, so they might not even be in play. Like, when is the first quarterback selected? Kyler Murray, I don't believe he's made a final decision yet. That would leave Dwayne Haskins as the top quarterback, and I'm not necessarily sold on his game. Like, this thing feels like it could go so many different ways, and if we really want to get weird, man, I cannot wait to see the team that takes the chance on Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback. Like, it was seemed like extremely risky to me, dude. Yeah, it's just all of these guys have issues. And, you know, with Haskins, it's the response to pressure and quick pressure in the interior. I know, yes, that's what gets all quarterbacks screwy. But as we saw with and Goff, as we saw with Goff like you need to be able to respond to pressure. It's one thing when it gets you here and there and you make a mistake. It's another thing when you like fold like a cheap suit. And so you need to be able to respond to pressure. There were times like you you watch Haskins against Penn State. There were some times when it seemed to click for him, but uh Again, issues. Murray, we've talked about them. We talked about it down at the Senior Bowl. Like, if he comes in, the most important place for Kyler Murray right now in the entire world over the next month and a half is the scale in Indy. Because if he comes Hmm. in at 5'10", 205, he's an outlier, yes, but he's Russell Wilson. 
If he comes in yeah. like we're expecting, 5'9", 188, he's an outlier, but Doug Flutie slash Mark Schofield. And Doug Flutie slash Mark Schofield aren't getting drafted in the top 10 then or now, especially now, because Doug Flutie is 56 and I can barely walk. And so that's not happening. I mean, you look how big quarterbacks get pushed up the board, even if they're not very good. You can be a short quarterback and be very good and at least still get a like largely go. Yeah, but you're you're so. Yeah. And then the other thing is, let's say you do draft Kyler Murray, you do draft him at 10 or 12 or wherever. And he gets bored watching because he doesn't play right away because he's not ready yet. And he suddenly comes into the GM's office one day. He's like, look, yo, the A's are waiting for me. So deuces. Like, yeah. You're, you're fired. fired. You're that's, fired. That's, you know, that's a guts to go situation. That's like, you know, don't want to get too political here, but like Virginia is a train wreck right now. That's a guts to go situation for a lot of people. That's a guts to go situation for the GM. You got to go. And so that's a risky proposition. Drew Locke. Like if you're running, if you're Bruce Arians, maybe you have Drew Lock QB one because no risk it, no biscuit. But are you drafting, you know, Drew Lock a ten or you know Tyree Jackson in the fourth round? And so Lock might slide. <laughs> Daniel Jones was in the ideal situation for him down in Mobile. He's a West Coast passer. Yeah. He'd be running John Gruden's offense, and he looked lost at times. Yeah, he made a couple of nice throws, but that's the story of his tape. A couple of nice throws look lost at times. Senior Bowl MVP, baby, it matters. It matters. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Nobody's there. <laughs> For no, the game. everybody, no, they're everybody. All gone. <laughs> so, like, that yeah. doesn't matter. And those are like the first round guys. Are you, you going to sell me on Will Greer? I liked him going into the Senior Bowl, but yikes, that was a tough week. Yeah. I mean, Gardner Minshew again, love the kid's attitude. He's not going in the first round, and so I oh. think since we see quarterbacks always get pushed up, I see. I, I think the first QB comes off at six, as bad as this class might be. Someone's getting fired over these QBs, man. Yeah. We've said it a few times and now. Someone's I don't. I can't necessarily sit here and t- say it's the Giants at six. You know, the first domino right. to fall is going to be Falls because look, if Falls ends up in Jacksonville, then QBs are going to slide a little bit more because I think Gettleman's looking at this class right now and he's thinking, huh, you know, if he wasn't drafted a quarterback last year, you think he's going to pull the trigger this year? Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> we might see Gettleman yeah. do for the first time ever something he's never done, which is trade down. Because like they don't have a third right. round pick, he's punted on this quarterback class. I would be stunned if he's like, I'm going to pass on the Rosens and the Darnolds of this world and then go draft Daniel Jones. Like, what? <laughs> and so I'd it wouldn't surprise me to see him trade down if Jacksonville if they sign Foles, they're out of the mix. And so the next team is maybe Denver at ten. And apparently they love Drew Locke. I saw that, and that is wild to me that they would. Yeah, they would. Wow, John Elway. Okay, yeah, let's talk about him. Love him as a quarterback. Yeah, you know we all we all can remember that iconic image of him getting holocarpted. By the way, his passer rated in that game worse than Brady's the other night. I'm just throwing out. I'm just I'm just saying. Okay, <laughs> love it. But but yeah. Iconic player, iconic moments, the drive, the Elway cross with the velocity, like fantastic yeah. quarterback. Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, Drew Locke. And you sign Case Keenum. And you sign Case Keenum. Like if you want to put together your like next resume, like looking for a GM job, like tell me what quarterbacks you went in on. Um, all right. So there's Brock Osweiler. Um, 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 who am I forgetting here? Oh, uh, Paxton Lynch. Now the best part, the best part of that resume is is drafting Trevor Simeon. What was it in the seventh round? Was he a seventh rounder or was yeah. he? Yeah, he was a seventh rounder and getting at least like spot starter stints from him. That's the best part of his resume as a quarterback evaluator. John, you can come to the draft on day three, okay? We get days one and two. Yeah, We'll see you on day three. We'll pick a quarterback then and he'll yeah. draft Brett Rippon and crush it. 
Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Rippon seems like the most steady prospect where you're like, Dude, like, I like his value where he is. He's the only one. I'm this close to just saying, forget it. Let's get completely nutty. You want to do nutty? Let's get nutty. <laughs> Brett Rippon is QB1. We're done. Let's See you go. next year, guys. Let's go. Let's let's get nuts. Mark, that's going to do it for the QB Sco Show. We talked some Super Bowl. We talked some Foles. We talked some quarterbacks in this NFL draft class. We talked some history, as we always do. Uh, got any other thoughts before we get out of here, man? I don't know. I'm just working my way through Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I mean, that's literally what I'm doing right now because this quarterback class. Look, Jordan Tamil, I'll throw that name out there. The third old miss. I've been studying him the past couple of days. He does some nice things. I have yet to watch his LSU or his Alabama game, so I'm probably yeah. going to be out on him in like an hour. Those two are rough, but the rest is, is – there's some flashes. His game against Southern Illinois, you know who mm. he reminded me of? Mm. Nate Sudfeld. Oh, every time he saw cover one or man coverage in the outside, <laughs> he was like, I'm going deep, baby. Yeah. And he was just dropping them in buckets. I mean, that they put up like 70 in that game and he was just making bucket throw after bucket throw. And I'm like, okay, well, if Arians passes on Tyree Jackson, this kid comes up the board in the sixth round, baby. Bruce is gone. All right. Give me that kid. I love it. All right, Mark. That's going to do it for today. Remember, Keep it here on Bleeding Green Nation. We're going to have another BGN radio coming up for you soon. I'm going to be talking with Joe Marino of the Draft Network, talking about a lot of the prospects that have been linked to the Eagles at 25 and possibly some prospects in the second round as well. That'll be on the Kist and Solak show coming up later this week. This has been the QB Sco Show. We thank you for listening. 